All right. Well, good morning, everyone. If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor here at Riverwood. And uh, yes, uh, welcome to Throwback Sunday. Uh, I realize for some of you, you sang these songs when you were in elementary. Uh, for others of us, we sang these just a couple weeks ago. Uh, nothing like Throwback Sunday to make you realize just how old you are. Because I'm like, that's not that old, Jake. Uh, so... I am old. So, um, but when we don't have Throwback Sunday with these hideously beautiful graphics, normally you see a slide kind of like this. The font there matches the font you see when you approach our front doors. Every Sunday you hear someone say that word, whether it's a, a worship leader or whoever's doing the announcements, even I myself sometimes say, hey, welcome to Riverwood's worship gathering. It, it's a word you expect to hear at a church. Even at a, a business. In fact, sometimes this is a word you'll use at your house. When you have guests over, you say, hey, welcome. But have you ever thought about what this word means biblically? As we jump into to a dictionary, you'll see it just says, oh, an instance of greeting. But as we're going to see today, welcoming is not just a fancy word for hi. There's so much more to it. It's so much deeper than that. And so, to help you see it for yourself, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. Now, a couple weeks ago, we uh, finished up chapter 12 in our series through the book of Acts, and then last week we had our Thanksgiving service. And so it was natural to just think, oh, we should just go back to Acts this Sunday before we launch into Advent. But chapter 13 in the book Acts kind of just takes things in a new, exciting direction. And we're not going to get back to Acts for several weeks. I think it's going to be March before we're back. So it felt really weird to launch this new direction in Acts chapter 13 and then not get back to it until March. And so I decided we're going to delay getting back to Acts till, till next spring. And what should we do though this Sunday? And a, a couple weeks ago, I thought, you know, there's this cool little passage in Romans 15 that I would love to teach on because I think it will not only help you if you are a follower of Jesus to, to live the life God calls you to live and the kind of like you want to live, but I think it'll also help us just as a church to, to not only be the church God calls us to be, but especially with Advent coming around, just the, the opportunity that God is bringing to us. And so today we're going to get to look at what it means to welcome like Jesus. So as we get ready to read the first seven verses, we're going to uh, open in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we approach your holy word, we pray that you would be our teacher. Holy Spirit, take these timeless words, these words that you have given to generation after generation after generation to lead them and guide them and draw them. May you do the same today, that, that here in 2023, you would take these same timeless words and impact us. Help us, Father, to hear from you, that it wouldn't be what I have necessarily tried to prepare, but it's what you want to teach to us to help us be the people you call us to be. So Lord, I pray for those that don't know you, that maybe somehow through this sermon, they, they would understand your heart for them and they would want to be welcomed by you into your kingdom. But for those of us that do know you, they, we'd hear these words today and we would seek to leave here and, and, and live the life you call us to. So open our ears, open our hearts, help us to, to live these things out with our feet and our hands and our presence for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if you have your Bible uh, open there, uh, hopefully you've gotten to Romans 15. If you don't have a Bible, we'll be putting the scripture on the screen for you. Uh, today we're going to do verses 1 through 7, so join me there at verse 1. We who are strong 
have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Our key verse today is right there at verse 7. You see where it says to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. But notice that the sentence starts with the word therefore. And as pastors like me love saying, you need to ask, what is that therefore? Therefore. In other words, it's attached to what just came prior. So that means we've got to go to verses 1 through 6 to understand verse 7. But when you jump in at verse 1, it says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. It, it, it kind of feels like you've just kind of jumped right into the middle of something. And that's because we have. Uh, chapter 15 is just a continuation through what he's been talking about in chapter 14. In fact, in chapter 14, verse 1, he even starts with this idea of welcome. So verse 7 is kind of the bookend. So if we're going to understand the end of what he's saying, we need to talk about what he was just talking about in, verse, in, in chapter 14. For the sake of time, we're not going to read all of chapter 14. So let me kind of summarize for you. In, in chapter 14, Paul is talking about two things. Food and feasts. I, I guess you could say there's three things. He's talking about faith. But when it comes to these concepts of food and, and, and feasts, some people were struggling with them. Because there were certain people, Jesus followers, who were saying, yeah, all food's fine. Like, it's ceremonially clean, it, it, it's fine for me to eat, it's no big deal. Whereas others, primarily those with the Jewish background, were going, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second, the, the Mosaic law forbade this and this and this, we, we shouldn't eat those. If we're going to glorify God, those foods are off limits. And, and it was creating a little bit of, of tension within the church. Same with feasts. There were certain holy days that people were saying, yeah, we, we need to observe this. God's given this to us to help us to worship him and, and remember certain things about him. Whereas others people were saying, well, it's just another day. Like all days are holy. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So why make this day special? All days are glorious. Let's worship God today. And so again, you were creating some tension. If we continued on through scripture, we'd see there were some other similar areas. There, were, there was debate about circumcision. Uh, there was debate about the Sabbath. There, there were just these areas where some people were saying, this is fine, this is good. And other people going, well, that's no big deal. We don't have to do that. Now, we would like to think that these were things back in antiquity, but we still struggle with some of the same things today. Little nine-year-old Aaron thought drinking alcohol was a sin. And so if I found out that someone in my church family had a glass of wine at dinner, nine-year-old Aaron really struggled with that. I, I figured, like, maybe they don't love God as much as me. Because I, when I get big, I'm not going to drink that sort of stuff. It, it was a stumbling block for me, and I was judging other people if they had a sip of alcohol. For other people, it, it's meat. Within Christianity, there is... Uh, 
uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventists primarily, who, uh, like, part of their faith is being a vegetarian. I, I went and looked this week. 40 to 50% of Seventh-day Adventists are vegetarian. Now, some, it's simply for health reasons. Some, it's, it's what they feel like is a way to honor God. They don't judge those who eat meat. But they say God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, and they could eat of any fruit of the tree. They weren't eating meat. And so, because that's what God's original design was, that's what they've chosen to do for themselves. But there's a small sliver, a handful, that they could not go into a restaurant and be served a steak or some fish. They would really struggle. This would be like against what they believe is right and good in their worship of God. Same with the Sabbath. Most Seventh-day Adventists don't judge those of us who worship God on a Sunday. But for them, they believe the Sabbath is Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So they worship Saturday mornings. For some of them, that is the holy day. And if you don't worship on Saturday, you're in sin. I had the joy of seeing this college student back when I lived in Cedar Rapids come to know Christ, began to grow. I got to disciple him a little bit, but really he connected with this other guy and this other guy was discipling him for like two years. Then he graduated, headed off, and we just kind of lost touch. And then he joined Facebook and I was kind of excited to reconnect with him. And this is like three, four years later. But what he starts posting is basically, if you worship God on Sunday, you bear the mark of the beast. That is evil. That is a sin. You can only worship God on Saturday. That's his holy day, his Sabbath. He would not have been able to come visit my church anymore and worship on a Sunday he, because he felt that it was a sin. We could go on. There are people who struggle with certain types of music, certain forms of entertainment. Uh, I have grandparents that struggled with card games. I know people who struggle with yoga. I, I know there are so many different areas that people would say, I don't think that's good. And other people are going, I don't see the big deal. It's absolutely fine. In Romans 14, Paul basically is saying, if it's wrong for you, if it feels wrong for you, it's wrong for you. But if it's not a big issue to you, then it's not a big issue. You have the freedom to do that. And so if, if you can't eat bacon with a clear conscience, then bacon is a sin for you. But if you can eat it with a clear conscience, have at it, man. Enjoy that bacon. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, this is kind of uncomfortable because this doesn't sound fair. I hear you. I remember the very first sermon I ever heard on the topic of conscience. And I disagreed. It didn't sound right. Like, if it's not good for me to do this, then it shouldn't be good for anyone. Because that's fair. And so, if I think cards are wrong, cards are wrong for everybody. If I think Harry Potter is evil, then it's evil for everybody. If I think wearing black is bad, then it's bad for everybody. And yet, Paul is saying, no, no. If, if, it, if that is a problem for you, then for you, it's a problem. Don't do it. Don't engage because for you, it is sin. But if you can engage in that activity or, or whatever, guilt-free, conscience-free, and still worship your, your heavenly father, then it's fine. Now, there are some areas 
that you can't take this to. This is not a universal principle that is applicable to all areas. So I don't want anyone coming to me and going, Aaron, I'm so glad you shared this because I can have an affair with no guilt at all. Yeah, you laugh. And yet, sometimes we try to take some of these gray areas and turn them into black and white. Yes, there are black and white areas. You cannot tell me that you can murder on Friday and come and worship freely on Sunday. We all know that is wrong. That is sin for all. And yet, some of you can do yoga and stretching on Friday. And yet, some of you, if you tried to do that, you would feel like you're inviting some Eastern mysticism into your life and and you wouldn't be able to do it. it. It feels dangerous to you. And so for you, it is wrong. It is sin. But for others, it's not. That's the background that leads us into chapter 15. So notice verse one. Paul says, we who are strong... In other words, those who feel like they have the freedom to enjoy barbecue, to listen to that kind of music, to wear those certain clothes, those who feel that they have that freedom, they have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please themselves. In other words, when you make decisions about what you're going to wear, what you're going to watch, what you're going to eat, all these things, you need to consider others. This isn't just about you and your freedom. This is also about them. Like it's cruel to enjoy some barbecue in the presence of someone who's a vegetarian. It it is cruel for you to enjoy a glass of wine in front of nine-year-old Aaron. Because you're putting your freedom first instead of them and their conscience. Notice verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Philippi, in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, consider the needs of others before your own. We are to live Christ-centered, but others-focused. We are to consider where they're at. And if they aren't comfortable with that, then you need to set it aside. Because you can enjoy your beer at another time. You can go and, and watch that movie on your own free time. You can play those games and do that at a different hour. But when they're with you, your heart's for them. They matter to God. And so you love them. You set that aside for their sake. And that will help bring just friendship and unity. To help us see this, he he shares with us an illustration, verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ, the only person to have ever lived without sin, there was no reproach that could come against him. And yet, what was due for us because of our sin, he took it. He didn't do this to please himself. There was nothing pleasurable in the cross. He wasn't giddy when the the lashes were against his back. He wasn't laughing when the crown of thorns were jabbed on his head. He didn't shrug it off when they put nails through his wrists. No, it was pain. It was hell. It was excruciating. And yet he did it for you. He put you first. And notice, he didn't use Jesus' name. He used Jesus' title. He says, for Christ. 
Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of the universe, put you first. Like if anyone has the right to put themselves first, it's Jesus. And yet even the Christ didn't please himself. He put you first and did what you need. So if the king of the universe can do that, then us, the non-kings, should be doing that for one another. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, but Aaron... That's hard. You're right. It is. It's incredibly difficult. You live with your own thoughts, your own desires, your own wishes, your own pleasures. And so you are always wanting to put yourself aside for a moment, to focus on the need of someone else. It can, it can be hard at times. Sometimes it's a joy but sometimes when you're tired, worn out, you've had a long week, they don't matter nearly as much as what you matter in your own mind. That's why God wrote verse 4 through Paul. For whatever was written in former days, so he's referring back to the verse we just heard at the end of verse 3. It comes from Isaiah 65. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Yes, to put others first, you are going to have to endure. But God's not left you alone. He's given you the scriptures to encourage you. Some of you, you don't fully realize it, but you're already doing some of this. Moms, you are patiently enduring with your children, putting them first, encouraging them to be who God wants them to be. This is what good husbands do. They patiently persevere for the sake of their wife, putting her first, encouraging her to be who God is making her to be. This is what good bosses do. A good boss doesn't focus on self, but focuses on his employees. How can he put them first to encourage them so that they thrive? Because if they're succeeding, the company's doing great. This is what Christ did. He endured the cross for us. And then he gives us the scriptures to encourage us to live like him and love like him. That's the background for verse 7. This is what it means to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now the ESV uh, uh, here, they translate, translate this uh, Greek word, which is way too big. I don't know how to pronounce it. I probably should have my resident Greek theologian, Zach, who's with us today. Zach's the pastor over at Cornerstone. Some of you know him. If not, make sure you greet Zach. Say hi. He got today off, and he chose to worship with us. Poor Zach. Um, uh, but he could probably tell you the Greek word. I cannot. It's this big, unpronounceable word, all right? But it can mean to take into one's home. That's why the ESV translates it as welcome, a greeting. But it can also be translated to take into one's heart, to take into one's self. That's what Christ did. He took us into himself. When he died on a cross and came out of the empty tomb, he doesn't just give us a casual handshake and say, oh, yeah, sure, come on in. No, it's a welcoming into himself. This is why Paul so often in his letters talks about being in Christ. 
You are welcomed into his kingdom. You become a part of him because you matter so much. You are in his heart. That's what it means to welcome. It's not just a fancy word for hi. It is this wholehearted, open-handed, bringing people in. This is why some translations uh, translate, uh, instead of welcome, they say to accept one another. Other, other translations have this idea of receiving one another. And so, to be like Christ, to welcome like Jesus, are we accepting others? Are we receiving them? Are we welcoming as Christ welcomed us to the glory of God? Now, I believe that Jesus' followers are to live this out in two ways. The first way is to live this out individually. You, if you are a Jesus follower, are to live with this kind of heart, this kind of attitude, this kind of approach. And so you need to ask yourself, are you welcoming those who look differently than you, dress differently than you, maybe have a different accent than you, maybe have different hobbies than you, or are you only putting yourself around the people who are kind of like you, vote like you, act like you? Are you accepting of those who have a different viewpoint? Or do you only accept those who are already part of your little tribe? Are you receiving those who maybe have a different background than you? Or do you only receive into your life and heart those that you know are already going to accept you? Are you willing to, to open up and welcome like Christ new people, or do you only stick with your same little group? If we're going to live this out, we have to do this individually. Now, I realize <laughs> some of you are hoping for a loophole because you're an introvert. You're like, oh, Aaron, like, I'll, I'll come and, and do this, but like, welcoming people into my life, like, I, I like my alone time. I, I get it. All right, I'm, I'm an ambivert. means there are times where I'm more extroverted, other times I'm more introverted. Last week, I got to do my spiritual retreat, was away alone for three days. It was awesome. I did not miss you guys. <laughs> and yet, when the next Sunday rolls around, I'm so excited to see you guys. Love being with you. So I, I get the draw to want to be alone I don't care if you're the most introverted person in the world. If you know that Jesus loves you, died for you, rose again from the dead, this is the call for you. It doesn't mean you deny your introvertedness, but it means you still live Christ-centered and others-focused. You are to live open-hearted. How do you do that as an introvert? Also, I realize that when you are going through something difficult, this is so hard to do. When you, are, 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 when you have problems at home or problems at work, maybe problems in your body, problems in your mind, problems in your bank account, it's so easy to just get wrapped up in yourself and really, really, really difficult to have this outward welcoming attitude. What do you do? I think you live in the tension. Remember, Jesus, when asked the greatest, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he tacked on another. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it means you have to love yourself because as you are loving and caring for yourself, it frees you up and opens you up to be able to love your neighbor, to be welcoming as Christ has welcomed you. So that means you can't ignore others 
your, your depression, your crisis, your struggle is not permission to be rude, to ignore, but at the same time, you are not to be rude to yourself, to ignore your own needs. And so if you need counseling, get counseling. If you need to take your meds, take your meds. If you need a group of people to come around you, get in a growth group, open up and let them bear this burden with you. Help yourself so that you can help others. But your struggle, while it needs to be cared for, is not a loophole to get out of this. Oh, well, I will welcome others once this is all better. Christ is saying, no, I want you to live this way now because you never know. That other person might be the very one God is sending to help you through your trial. And if you ignore them, don't welcome them, that pairing won't happen. Or that person might be going through exactly what you're going through and you're going to end up helping one another. And you're going to be so grateful that you welcomed them and they welcomed you as you each help one another towards healing. So I believe we are to live this out individually. Whether we're introverted, whether we're struggling, whether life is going great. We are to be Christ-centered and others-focused. The second way that I think we are to live this is corporately. Remember, Paul is not writing to Roman, one person. He's writing to the Romans, the church in Rome, a group of people. This is to be lived out corporately. It's to be all of them, not just the pastors, not just the elders, all of them. Notice verse 2. He says, let each of us. You, you, you can't shift this off to others in the church. Well, they, they'll take care of that. No, if you follow Jesus and you're part of a church family, each of us are to welcome as Christ welcomed us. It, it's on us individually to do it corporately. But there is a beautiful benefit to when we live this out corporately. Notice verses five and six. May the God of endurance and encouragement. So he's referring back to the, the previous verse where he, he talked about how, how God helps us endure. The, the scriptures can encourage us. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a deep suspicion that you desire that kind of church. That you long to be part of something where there is just this wonderful unity, this heart of care. I've got good news for you. That's what God wants too. It's his desire for his church to experience that kind of unity within Christ. Because when we welcome one another, caring right here, we're being suited to welcome the new people, to, to make sure they are loved and cared for, to accept and receive. And so he wants this lived out individually, but also to live it out corporately, that we all do this together. In the last two months, we've had quite a few first-time guests uh, visit uh, on Sundays. And uh, some have told me, man, you have such a warm, welcoming church. 
In fact, a couple have even gone online. We didn't ask them to do this or anything, but um, um, Manette has gotten the, the emails, like forward them to me, and they've been going on like Google and leaving reviews. Man, Riverwood is such a wonderful, welcoming church, giving us like five stars. That's awesome. That's great. And yet also in the last two, three months, I've had three separate people say that they just didn't feel welcomed at Riverwood. Just didn't feel like they were fully accepted. They weren't received. And that breaks my heart. Because I know what kind of a church we are. I know the posture you want to have. I know you want to live out, verse 7. But this means we're not doing it perfectly. That we can still grow and improve in this. Like if anyone's going to complain about Riverwood, I don't want anyone saying, man, that church just didn't welcome me. I'd rather they say, oh my goodness, they just like kept loving on me. Like they were just so kind. Oh, I couldn't, I just wanted someone to ignore me. (laughs) If someone wants to be ignored in church, they're going to find a really large church where they can slip in and slip out. If they're willing though to come to a smaller church like this, to ignore them is cruel. That's not who we are. And it's not who God called us to be. So we together, yeah, individually need to do this, but we need to do this corporately. Now, we have a wonderful opportunity ahead of us. We have Advent coming. Christmas is a beautiful time to invite and to welcome. And so to help you individually, that's why we made those little uh, invite cards. You can take that and give it to someone. Because nothing says, I welcome you into my life more than an invitation. An invitation says, hey, I want to accept you. I, I want to receive you into my life. I have been blessed by my church family, and I would love to share it with you. So I want to invite you to come. That allows you to do it individually. But when that new person comes, hopefully you are not the only person who ends up talking to them. I hope we as a church will love and care and reach out. Hey, my name's Aaron. What's yours? Hey, how'd you find Riverwood? Where, where are you from? What do you do for work? Tell me about your family. Just take an interest in them. Who cares if they don't ask you any questions? Because you've got a family who's going to love you and listen to you. And if you're not receiving that kind of love and care, reach out. Invite someone in. Welcome them into your struggle so that we can bear this burden with one another. Because as we do this, as we live this out, we will get to experience that beautiful harmony that he talks about. This is what God calls us to. This is not just thrown onto pastors, onto elders, onto staff, onto leaders. It is for each of us to welcome one another as Christ welcomed you to the glory of God. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make us this kind of church. I I thank you that in so many ways we already are that to know that there have been people who felt welcomed here by us and knowing that for they're welcomed by you. I, I, I thank you that, that many of us here have found wonderful, beautiful connections and, and support. We're, we're, we've got people who pray for us. We've got people who, who will encourage us. We've got people who will laugh with us. Thank you, God, for that gift. But at the same time, help us continue to grow in this. Help us to, to be that church that truly accepts people right where they're at just as you have accepted us. Help us to receive people, not to make them behave certain ways or believe certain things before they can belong, 
but to instead welcome them the way you have welcomed us into your kingdom. But God, I recognize this is hard. Um, we fear rejection. Uh, we don't like awkward conversations. Um, sometimes we feel judged. And we don't necessarily want to go to someone. So Father, I pray you'd help us to see that our uh, acceptance is found first and foremost in you. That even if others reject us, you do not. That even if others may judge us, you accept us. And so Father, help us out of our identity in Christ to be this loving, this grace-filled, this Christ-centered, others-focused people. That we would welcome just as you have welcomed us. Lord, I, I pray you'd help us to live this way, though not just on Sundays. That we'd live this at work, we'd live this at school, we'd live this at home, we'd live this in our, our sports teams, in our clubs. That we would live with this outward orientation. Lord, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling right now. Lord, they, they want to live this way, and yet so much is, is causing them to have to look inward. I pray for healing. I pray for support. I pray that you would surround them. I pray you'd give them hope. I pray that they would know that, that you are with them through the, the people that you put around them, that they would hear from you through your scriptures, through, through song, through your spirit, but also through their brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, Father, to be that unified church that is truly loving, supporting, caring. Because as we do so, we are positioning ourselves to truly love and welcome others. So God, I pray that you would do all of this for your glory because I know that as we live this way for you, it will bring us great joy. And that's what I want for your people. I want them to experience joy in Jesus because God, you are good. You are great. You love us deeply and immensely. You are for us. And I believe you want to do great things through us. And so I ask that you would do your great work in us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. When Jesus went to the cross, his hands were spread out across. His nails were driven in. He was opening himself up to welcome you in. Our sin kept us separated from God. And that drove God nuts. He loves us. His image is in us. You matter. And he knew that you could not pay the penalty yourself. If you paid the penalty of death, you'd be separated from him forever. So Jesus came as that baby, taking on human flesh to live a full human experience. And yet he did it without sin, allowing him to be the only one who could go to that cross to die that death, but not have to do it for his own sin. That's what allowed him to do it for the world. He loves you, he is for you, and he welcomes you. And so if you're here today, or, or you're online, or you listen to the podcast, <coughs> and, and you've never given your life to Jesus, may you hear his invitation. May you hear that he is welcoming you. And the avenue to come into those open arms is the cross. Most people, when they realize what God done, did for them, they, they mark that moment in prayer. They usually find themselves just confessing their sin, acknowledging how they have not been seeking after him, and yet realizing that his heart was for them. And so 
If that's you, then just spend some time praying during this next song and just give your life to Jesus because he gave his life for you. But if you are here today and you are already a follower of Jesus, that invitation is still there every day, every moment to come, to come into him. So I can't think of a better way right now than to remember the welcome of Jesus than through communion. As you take that wafer, remembering that represents his body, as you open it up and, and take that juice, remembering that represents his blood, that as you take that into you, that is you coming in to him. May you right now just thank him for the welcome. May you just find comfort and joy in him. That whatever you're wrestling with, whether it's worries about the holidays coming, whether it's something happened this past weekend, whether there's something else surrounding you, just bring all your burdens. Cast them upon him because he cares for you. So may we just enter this time of worship in reverence, in awe, in prayer, in submission as we remember his welcome. At any time during the song, you are free to get up, go to the table, to the elements, bring it back. If you want to kneel, you may. If you want to stand and sing, you may. This is your time to just accept the welcome of Jesus. So let us do this now in remembrance of him.